0: Uh, Well, last week we kicked off a a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Uh, The idea of the series is that uh, we belong to this thing that the the Bible calls the way, the book of Acts. The the, uh, followers of Jesus identified Christianity at the time as the way or the way of Jesus. And we want to learn what does it look like to put into action the way that Jesus taught us. How can we best live out the life? So rather than simply having a head knowledge or an idea or an ideology about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we are living a lifestyle, putting into practice the things that will help us develop and grow and shape as followers of Jesus to ultimately fulfill our destiny of becoming like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says that he is uh, conforming us into the image of his son. We had an interesting question after last week's message. Uh, Somebody came up to me and basically just asked, why is it that if we're going to be shaped into the image of his son anyways, what's the point of putting in all the effort now? So like you come to faith in Jesus and then you can wait however many years and then you go to be with the Lord. And at that moment, there is this glory, right? There's this new uh, resurrected body, this eternal state, whatever you want to call it. And we are uh, then conformed into the image of his son. Why not just kind of coast until then? Um, and to be totally honest, that, uh, I don't know what you're looking for in life, but that does not sound exciting to me at all. If I have an option of having this treasure that is the greatest treasure that humanity has ever known and I can have access to it today, why in the world would I wait 60 years or 40 years or 80 years? Why would I not put my effort and my energy and my life into mining the depths of this goodness that is available today? It's not a matter of Uh, of rules and rituals and and disciplines for the sake of grinding out Christianity until we die. That is so far from the point of being a follower of Jesus. But this idea of Jesus being um, a treasure in and of himself it's something that many of us, it's not the faith that a lot of us were saved into. A lot of us were saved into heaven being the treasure, and we just simply are hoping that heaven comes sooner rather than later. And we're anxiously awaiting that, but right now is, is kind of miserable. But I don't think that's the life that Jesus intended for us. I don't think that's what he meant when he told us that he was going to give us life abundant. He talks about eternal life and the goodness and the the glory of eternal life, but he also talks about life abundant, which is life now. That being filled up with all the fullness of God now, being filled by the Spirit now, being empowered by the person of Jesus to engage a life of purpose and meaning and significance now is the greatest treasure in this physical human life that we can uh, experience So why not pursue that with every ounce of strength that we have inside of us? And what's wild, you guys, is that makes us better husbands and wives, that makes us better parents, that makes us better workers. You will be a more diligent and faithful worker in your workplace if you are passionately pursuing life with Jesus because that shapes character in you that applies to every area of life. It actually impacts not just how you act in a church or in a small group, it, acts, it impacts the way that you live everywhere you go. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you, this idea of practicing the way of Jesus, the idea of becoming a disciple of Jesus, is not a token concept. It's not something I would never sell you a Christianity that says, sign on the dotted line and then wait till heaven to experience the goodness of Jesus. That feels far short of the Christianity that the scriptures invite us into. So today, uh, or last week we talked about uh, the idea of practicing the way of Jesus kind of uh, breaks down into these three uh, helpful categories of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And we wanted to break our three messages up into sort of the different ways that we can express our, uh, our discipleship to Jesus, the things that we can do to best walk and practice the way of Jesus. And today we're gonna be focusing on being with Jesus. Now my hope for this is to teach, to actually help us get to a place where maybe we weren't before. And and I don't in any way want this to sound condescending. Like that's not the tone that I wanna take, is let me tell all you people how to truly be spiritual people. Like that's nowhere in in the vicinity of my heart for this. Uh, a few years ago, <laughs> I like to say that because it makes me feel younger, um, when I was uh, maybe 12 or 13 or maybe 11, or actually my dad was pretty aggressive with this, so maybe 9 or 10, um, my dad took me out to, this is my dad right here, Steve Larson, uh, he took me to the Denny's on Park Road, which is now Urban or Urbane Cafe, does anybody know how to say that word? Is it urban or urbane? I have no urbane. idea. Urbane? That sounds awful. Um so it tastes good though I like their tri-tip sandwich but anyways that used to be a Denny's for those of you that have been around Thousand Oaks longer than five years and he took me to that Denny's and um, we were having a, a breakfast together and he wanted to teach me how to interact with women and so um, <laughs> I don't know why that's funny it's an important thing to teach a nine-year-old boy um, so we were talking casually probably about some movie that we had watched and uh, He said okay the waitress is going to come and I want you to order your food and I said well dad I'll just tell you what I want and you tell her and he said no that's not how this works you need to look at the menu memorize what you want to order close your menu look this woman in the eye and tell her with confidence and clarity what you would like to eat this morning and he walks me through this whole process and and uh, so the waitress comes over and I kind of bury my head in the menu and say I want pancakes and he reaches over and closes my menu and turns my chin up to look at this <laughs> this waitress and says try it again and I look at the waitress and I say I'd, uh, I'd like to order the pancakes I don't think that's that's not condescending that's teaching right like that is the definition of teaching somebody how to do something that they don't know how to do and I, I learned from that I now have a wife I can speak to her with confidence and clarity. I can look her in the eye and tell her when I want pancakes. It's great. Um, just kidding. My natural tendency, I'm going I'm to give you guys a little bit of my struggle. My natural tendency in messages like this, and I felt like I even slipped into it last week, uh, is to become the, the cheerleader, to get very excited about the things of Jesus and to just kind of like work us into a glorious frenzy and let's charge and take the world. There's something about these messages that needs a little bit more um, uh, precision than just, than just gusto. And so with that, I'm gonna try and discipline myself to, to teach in a way that, that actually helps understand how we do this more than just the big picture of why. I feel like most of you, if you sat through some extension of the book of Matthew, some of our series going through Matthew, you get the why. You have a decent understanding of why we would become disciples of Jesus and why we would want to grow in that. So what our hope for this series is to talk about how. How do we do the things that Jesus invited us into? So that's generally where we're gonna go with our series today, so. With that, open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. We'll start with a little bit of the why. We're not just going to dive straight into the how. We'll we'll start with a little bit of the why. John chapter 1. A lot of our teaching this morning will come out of the book of John. Um, uh, While you're turning, I'll give you a couple of these things. Last week we said these messages build on each other. Last week, uh, this week is built on last week. Next week will be built on this week and last week and on and on. It's a four-week series. If you're not here for all four, please go and get the podcast. Um, there's always a link to it in the Anthem Weekly. If you uh, sign up for the Anthem Weekly, there's a, a super easy link that you can click or you can subscribe to the podcast or whatever. But try and make a point to listen to each of these messages because they will, uh, they will be built on each other. And if next week I have to go back and explain all the things that I talked about this week, then it would just be teaching the same message three weeks in a row. So we'd actually like to be able to move forward in these. So this is John chapter 1, verses 1-5. through five says this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, Pop quiz, who is the Word? Good. All right. Good. Just making sure. The word is Jesus. So let's reread this passage with Jesus inserted. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus, the light, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it, the light, Jesus. Okay? So when you think about this, I want you to think about Jesus simultaneously being God and with God. How is that possible? Very brief understanding of the Trinity, which is a hard thing to do. There are deep books written on the theology of the Trinity. But you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But we do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. One God who exists in three persons. We sing a song, Blessed Trinity. That idea is repeated in the scriptures in a number of places that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all simultaneously existing, always God all the time, but they are one God. And so God himself exists in community. God is both God and with God. Jesus is both God and with God. The Holy Spirit is both God and with God. That is the nature of God, is that he exists in perfect community. So John describes the beginning of all things, and he gives us this picture of what life is going to be built on, the idea of being with God. So John continues in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen Jesus' glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. That word dwell uh, is based on the same word in Hebrew. So the Greek word is based on the same word in Hebrew that means tabernacle or tent. So Jesus came into humanity, and he set up camp among us. He came here to reside, to rest, to exist, to be with humanity. That was a part of Jesus' incarnation or coming in the flesh was to be with us. His plan to restore creation was not to send a list of rules or a ritual or a religion to follow. Instead, God himself came to be with us, to walk with us again as he had done in Eden in the beginning. Jesus entered into our dark existence to share our broken world and to make a way for us to then be with him. So in the same way that Jesus is with the Father, Jesus wants us to be with him. That is what Jesus is doing. So when we talked on Easter Sunday about how God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, we are talking about this same basic idea that God is going to work through Jesus to make a witness possible, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ possible. That is the starting point of a fruitful, joyful, powerful life in the kingdom of God it's to uh, to cultivate a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about how Jesus did this. Jesus invited his disciples, last week we talked about this, to stand up and walk with him. For them to be with Jesus meant one thing. Physically, go where he goes, help him when he needs help, do the things that he asks you to do, be around him, learn from him, watch him, participate with him, be sent out by him. It meant all of those things. For us, sometimes there can be some confusion because we're not first century Jews living in Palestine, we are 21st century Americans living in Southern California. How do we do life with Jesus when we are not physically present like he was? So Jesus said this. Let's go to John chapter 14. It's worth flipping over. We're going to look at two different passages in John chapter 14. First verses 16 through 18. I love the page turning. Love it. All right. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17 say this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus, teaching his disciples, says, here's how this is going to go. I've got a job to do. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven. But the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago from Acts chapter 2, the actual moment where the Holy Spirit came upon those believers. He was with them and he was in them. So Jesus is basically saying, This is how we're going to do this with relationship. The Father is going to send out His Spirit and pour Him out on all flesh, and He will be with you and He will be in you. So when Jesus says, lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age in Matthew chapter 28, He is talking about this idea of the Holy Spirit being with us and in us as we go through this life. All right, so that is a big part of how we engage this life with Jesus. Now go down to John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So according to Jesus, the way that we be with Jesus, the way that we engage in this life with him, is through the Holy Spirit. Uh, A friend of ours up in Portland, John Mark Comer, writes this. He says, The first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. So when you think about this life in the Spirit, uh, some very familiar passages to us like Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 23. If you grew up going to Sunday school, you're very familiar with the fruit of the Spirit. We have great flannel graphs to illustrate the fruit of the Spirit. They are very helpful in seeing apples and oranges and bananas and then them having these peace, patience, kindness, and on, on and on written on these fruits. But the beginning of that passage, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul makes a conditional promise to the Galatians. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Have you ever been in a battle with sin, with temptation, with uh, maybe lust or greed or anger or something along those lines that just wells up inside of you and there is a raging battle going on in you? Paul is writing to you and he's saying, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Doesn't mean those desires won't be there, that there won't be things flying in at you, but to walk by the Spirit is to teach you how to go about the business of saying yes to the things of the Spirit and saying no to the things of the flesh. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us to teach us and help us to be growing in this relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that we have to do is be able to grow in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is how do we listen to Him? How do we engage Him? And what does it look like for us to do something like walk by the Spirit? So Jesus goes on to teach us a little bit more about that. If you flip one page over from John 14 to John chapter 15, Jesus continues His teaching with the disciples. This is going to be our main text for today, so it's worth uh, putting, uh, turning there. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word i have spoken to you so if you just read those first three verses you start to think fruit matters to jesus and our instinct is to say all right well i better make some fruit then you read verse four abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Fruit matters to Jesus. The only way to bear fruit is to abide in Jesus. Let me repeat that sentence. The only way to bear fruit is to abide in Jesus. He says, neither can you unless you abide in me. So make no mistake, there is no fruit production that goes on apart from abiding in Christ. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So just note the direction here. Father loved Jesus. Jesus is loving us. Abide in my love. All right, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, it turns around, and Jesus says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is inviting us into the same relationship that he has with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. I'm not saying that we become gods. Don't mistake that. But the word was with God. There's this beautiful intimacy, this powerful dynamic of a relationship and Jesus is saying, let me tell you how that works between me and the Father. I obey his commandments and I abide in his love. We'll talk about the word abide in just a minute. And so if you want this same communion with me, obey my commandments and abide in my love. So let's talk about this idea of the word abide. It's a very important word. Jesus uses it 10 times in this passage. Okay, the idea of abiding is the idea of resting in, living in. Some of your Bibles might say, remain in me and I will remain in you. And that's helpful. But if you think about the idea of abide, it's sort of like laying in a hammock. It's like, Existing in something you think of yourself when you abide as where do you it's more than just where are you physically present but who are you where are you what do you mean <laughs> what do you exist to do there's a lot of philosophical questions built into the word abide but they have profound implications Jesus is telling his disciples live in me and I will live in you And so what I want to do if you go through the Bible it's pretty awesome I, I have a Bible software that lets me type in words and things like that the phrase in Christ is used 91 times in the New Testament 91 times the idea of being in Christ and that's not even talking about in Jesus or in the Holy Spirit those things are mentioned as well but just the idea of being in Christ is mentioned many many times that theology of us living or being or in Christ is built off of this command. Jesus saying, abide in me and I will abide in you. And the New Testament authors took that and they ran with that idea. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone abides in Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in them. That command becomes the foundation of what our relationship with Jesus looks like. So let's talk about what it means to abide in Jesus. I put together a little list of some things to help us frame, because there's a lot of different scriptures collecting. Jesus doesn't take a a pause and write a commentary on his own words and so we sort of have to gather what does this mean based on the totality of the scriptures to better understand what life looks like abiding in Jesus so to abide in Jesus is to rest in him Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest do we have that slide by the way Ryan or am I just talking talking crazy talk here all right to abide in Christ is to rest in Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. To abide in Christ is to find your identity in Him. By the way, each one of these could be an individual sermon, so I'm not going to go into great depth on each one of these things, but it's kind of designed for you to maybe write these things down and to, uh, to process them as we go. Uh, finding your identity in Him. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Well, what does it mean for me to... Uh, to live as a new creation built on the foundation of the work of Jesus Christ. It means to confide in him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Learning the process, the act of casting your anxieties on Jesus, letting him carry your burdens, letting him be to you a God and you being to him his people. It means to trust in him. Hebrews 2.17 says, I will put my trust in him. This is an important understanding of how to abide in Jesus, to learn to trust Jesus' leadership and where he's taking you. It means to be led by him, to walk by the Spirit, uh, I've taught on this before. The idea, when I used to go uh, backcountry snowboarding with my brother, uh, we would take turns as we were hiking because the snow would be deep, like up to our up to our thighs, and the leader had to plow through the fresh powder, and it was it was way more exhausting. But the person behind the leader could just step in the footsteps, and it was a way easier way to go through this hike. And so we would take turns with who was out front, but. The scriptures are teaching that the Holy Spirit is out front. He's he's making the way for us to live our lives and we are to keep in step with the Holy Spirit to be sensitive to where he's leading us and follow him as we go. So to be led by Jesus is part of abiding in Christ. Uh, To listen to him, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus calls on us to hear his voice, to listen to him, and then listening comes with obeying. John 15:10. we just read this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Obeying Jesus is a part of abiding in him and submitting to Jesus. This is a great concept. And I, it's so frustrating when we get into this kind of like women empowerment space and this verse gets attacked that women are supposed to submit to their husbands because it's such a devastating skew of what that passage was, was designed to teach us, that we are all in submission. That submission is a beautiful, empowering, powerful thing that when we submit to Jesus, or the picture is given to wives. I say this in all the weddings that I do. You have a chance to represent Jesus to the world by how you submit to your husband, and we the church have a chance to represent Jesus to the, to the world by how we submit to Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the idea of being submissive. We are all called to be submissive and wives get the beautiful opportunity of showing what that looks like by living out this marriage dynamic as a picture of the relationship with people and God. It's awesome. So these are just, and and this is not a complete list. We could go through the scriptures and we could find even more awesome things. But I wanted to help bring this idea of what does it mean to abide in Jesus. So Ryan, would you actually leave that up for a bit? And let's kind of go back through uh, John chapter 15 starting in verse 4. And I want you to think of these ideas as we read through this again. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it uh, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is saying, you can't bear fruit unless you are resting in me, finding your identity in me, confiding in me, trusting in me, being led by me, listening to me, obeying me, submitting to me. These are the actions that you can do as a human being that produce the kind of fruit that the Father is looking for. This is the way of Jesus. To be with Jesus is to practice the way of Jesus. So here's the thing this doesn't mean that we go join a monastery, remove ourselves from all culture, and we spend the next however many years of our lives that we have left just sitting in the meditative state, uh, being with Jesus. People tried that back in the 14, 15, and 1600s, and, and monasteries still exist to this day. But they are not the purpose of this command to abide in Christ. That's a misapplication of what we're supposed to do. So, how do we abide in Christ while still going through the, the motions, uh, not just the motions, but going through the, the actual life that we're called to live? Uh, <clears throat> Kristen and I went on sabbatical last year and I can't remember if I shared this story with you or not, but we were in Ireland and uh, we had five kids and we were staying in a cottage. If you've ever been to the UK, I don't know that they know that families with five kids exist. So the homes that are built there are not built for families with five kids. They're built for families with like one and a half child children. Um, it's uh, fascinatingly small. And we were, uh, I was finding myself uh, not restful on sabbatical. I was finding myself very frustrated uh, because I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could move. There was no place to like get up early and do my quiet times and kind of get ready for the day. And, and so I was just sort of living in this agitated state for the first couple of weeks of our sabbatical. And um, Kristen challenged me on it. And uh, this, is, this is what she said. She said, something's got to, you got to figure something out it can't be that your day uh, goes right or your parental leadership goes right or your uh, your husbanding goes right if you happen to get your quiet time that morning if you happen to get time in the scriptures that morning if you happen to get your hours of, of silence with your journal and praying and and going through God's Word it can't be that that this is dependent on that there's something else missing because you're filled by the Holy Spirit And so in your day, it's not that doing those actions produce this kind of a day. That's not—it's not a one-to-one. That's not a, a full understanding of abiding in Christ. She actually challenged me to think about what it looks like for me as the kids are going crazy, and we're in a foreign country, and we're trying to go for hikes and rest. Gosh darn it, like that kind of a thing. As we're trying to figure all of this stuff out to learn how to be filled by the Spirit, to lead my family in the Spirit, to be a husband in the Spirit without maybe having all of the luxuries of time. I've had a lot of you just kind of ask me the question, like, or maybe make the accusation as more appropriate, like, well, it's easy for you because it's your job to abide in Christ. I'll fill in some of the language. (laughs) It's your job to just be with Jesus all day and to read the scriptures all day and to pray all day. Guys, I love my job. I do, absolutely. But there are, first of all, there are other components to my job, and second of all, it's not just work hours that I get to be a spiritual person. I actually have to figure out how to, while changing Rosie's nasty diapers and uh, doing backyard projects and fixing the, we have a hornet's nest in our shed, and like figuring those things out, while doing all of those things, I also am called to abide in Christ, not just when I get to sit in an office and study the scriptures and prepare messages for Sunday mornings, And so there's a call regardless of circumstance, whether you get up at 5 a.m. and you go to work and you don't finish up until 10 p.m., first of all, maybe it's time to start figuring out how to find a way to dial that back. But second, (laughs) that's not a reason to say, I can't abide in Christ, I work too hard. I can't abide in Christ, I'm too busy. I can't abide in Christ, I don't have time for that. This comes down to learning how to be two places at once. Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, "Pray without ceasing." Have you ever read that verse and just give a little guffaw or a chortle, as Tricia likes to call it, uh, just some kind of like a guttural laughing, mocking, yeah, sarcastic, whatever. Uh, I told you, I may have told you the story, but a lot of you guys are new. Uh, At my brother's wedding when I MC DJ'd and I was getting the toast, I told my brother and and new sister-in-law that I would pray for them every second of every day. That was my promise to them as a brother. I have failed miserably in that promise over the last 16 years or however long they've been married. But the idea of praying without ceasing is not that you would, again, join a monastery and every waking hour of every waking day only be in prayer it's the idea of learning how to exist in two places at one time this is uh, a guy named Dallas Willard we've mentioned him a few times he writes this he says the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds just think of that that picture our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Uh, this last Wednesday I got a chance to take a, a day of solitude and I went away to pray and uh, that, that, that involves a couple of different things. I took my boogie board out and went out in the water at county line and I was, you know, kind of hiking and walking and running and just different, different things. But the point of the day was being alone with God and I can feel the jealousy emanating from many of you and I understand it. It is a, it is a a sweet and beautiful thing that my wife was able to do to help provide that and that uh, the team here at the church was able to help provide that. And I try and do that on a monthly basis. But the point is not to exercise or to boogie board or to enjoy the sun or the sand or whatever. It's to be with Jesus. And it was not easy. Anybody ever tried solitude before? Just being alone with Jesus and just being quiet and still before him? It is a challenging thing part of the reason that I do the the boogie boarding thing is just so that I can go sit out in the water like I don't even really care if I catch waves but just try and get to a place where like I'm uh, I don't know if there are any surfers out here but it's just a generally a a a sweet place to be and to try and connect with the Lord and and to engage him just getting away from the noise my phone's on the shore my watch is on the shore, all of that like I, I I'm just alone with Jesus especially on a Wednesday it's not very crowded and so I'm out there and even in that place my eyes start drifting to the big beautiful mansions up over overlooking PCH and you just start thinking about life in those big beautiful mansions, whatever, you know, like that starts to happen. I start thinking about how John- Jonathan Shapiro met Rob Lowe out of, in the water at County Line and just wondering if I would get to meet Rob Lowe out in the water, you know, just whatever, like <laughs> those things start coming into my brain while I'm trying to discipline myself to be with Jesus. And what Dallas Willard is saying is really helpful, like it's not, it's not like you just if you create the perfect environment, then all of a sudden it's just gonna click. You could have a prayer closet that's, that's a two-by-two two square and you close the door and you get in that thing and you're just like, all right, Jesus, and you'll still get distracted. Because discipline is something that happens over time. It, it grows in us over time as we apply the, the practices of Jesus to our lives. There's another author, William Paul Sell, that, that talks about this in our current digitized culture. He says this, It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization of our own lives, but there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clear perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. The discipline of the abiding life is something that is going to take effort on your part and on my part. It's the kind of thing that maybe, maybe if you're gonna spend some time reading the scriptures in the morning, you need to actually use a physical Bible because the iPad Bible gets notifications and things start dinging through and you start checking fantasy football scores and whatever, like all the things that can happen in that. So maybe you need to take all the stuff off and set that aside and be somewhere else. Or maybe you're in a situation where life is so busy and so frantic that you cannot carve another moment out of the day to be alone and still with God. So you have to find those moments and discipline yourself to use them. The shower, the drive, the places where you might just be able to pause and be still. And again, I still recommend finding time to carve, but maybe this isn't a season that you can do that and disciplining yourself to use those moments to be with Jesus is critical. I have, these messages are funny because Like seriously, we could go on for a really long time. There are some important things for you to understand about being with Jesus that I'd love to go into, but I'm just going to say this one. We look at the abiding commands of Jesus and we go straight to the fruit oftentimes, the product of the Christian life. We feel like we are supposed to produce something. I went on sabbatical last year and the elders repeatedly told me, you don't have to come back with anything. You could come back here and just say, I didn't hear anything and it would still be a success because that the point is simply to be with Jesus and be with your family It was a hugely important moment for me I still felt immensely guilty that the Lord hadn't delivered some powerful word for the church by week three Like it just I was overwhelmed by guilt that I had not gone to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments for Anthem Church Like it just felt that way I want you to hear that the success in being with Jesus is in being with Jesus. In and of itself, that is the treasure. Jesus, his kingdom, his presence, his joy, his peace, just being with Jesus is enough. That in and of itself is productive. When you think about Acts chapter 6, I love that the, that the apostles identified deacons to serve in the church. But have you ever read through that and been sort of insulted by the way that they went about it? The apostles are looking at the situation and there are widows that are being neglected in the distribution of food. That is a pretty good-sized deal in a church that's built its existence on generosity and taking care of the down and out. The widows are being neglected in the distribution of food. And so the apostles say, choose for yourselves seven men, faithful, godly, full of the spirit, on and on and on to take care of this because we have to devote ourselves to the word and to prayer. The job description of the apostles in the early church was to be with Jesus so that they could teach other people how to be with Jesus. This becomes, that in and of itself is a success in the life of Jesus. If we teach this series and you come out of it just thinking, okay, I need to be with Jesus. I need to learn how to be with Jesus. I need to grow in being with Jesus. If you came to next week's message and you hadn't listened to today's, next week we're going to talk about becoming like Jesus. And then the week after that we're going to talk about doing what Jesus did. If you did those two things but, but hadn't gotten an understanding of what it means to be with Jesus, you would have a very uh, incomplete picture of what we're being invited into. We started here because the treasure of the Christian life is Jesus. It's not how many people you lead to Jesus. It's not how epic your worship service was. It's not even how long your prayer life was or is. It's just learning how to treasure Jesus. So let's talk about ways that we can do that. I have been uh, married to my wife for 17 years. Uh, Before that, we dated for uh, four and a half years, and before that, we were friends for uh, another probably four and a half years or so. All in all, I've known Kristen well for 26 or 27 years of my life. I'm 38. So I, I have been with this woman for a long time. There are things that, uh, I'm uh, no offense Colleen, but I probably know my wife better than anybody else on the planet. Kristen's mom is here in the room. I, I know my wife better than anybody. And I don't know her because she was able to tell me everything about her or I learned it through some Facebook quiz or something like that. Like I don't... I don't know my wife because I happen to know her facts and figures and the, the things that are true about her. I know her that well because I have been with her. We've traveled the world together. We have rested together. We have fought together. We have disciplined our children together. We've had children together. We have experienced life in an incredibly together way and the witness has produced a relationship that i would never be able to duplicate with anybody else anywhere else as we grow in our relationships with jesus it's not just about knowing about him uh we one of the practices that helps you to be with jesus is being in the scriptures we have a certain picture of being with the scriptures and that is a very relatively recent development of how to use the scriptures. I was doing a little bit of studying and and the idea of a regular average person having their own Bible is only something that has happened within the last 150 years. Jesus went to be with the Father almost 2,000 years ago. For that long People did not have their own copy of the scriptures. They would actually go to church and there would be the public reading of scripture and they would take maybe a verse or a phrase out of that reading and they would meditate on it day and night. Just repeat it over and over. Just speak it to themselves and and dwell on it and learn it. So the reality is Christians for most of their journey, for most of their existence, would not have been able to read this thing cover to cover. Many of them didn't know how to read didn't have access to a physical Bible. They were people that meditated on the truth of Jesus. They learned how. But we have taken this and we've made it very much into a textbook-oriented thing where we are searching diligently and trying to parse and carve out and find meaning and, and diligently dig into this thing. And to be honest, I'm not bemoaning that. I think there is value in that as long as you do not lose the depth and the richness and the power Of the scriptures by trying to consume massive amounts of information so it would be more important that you learn how to read the scriptures in the Holy Spirit soaking in the meaning dwelling on a passage for days or weeks or months at a time and letting the power and the significance of what Jesus is teaching you through that what the Holy Spirit wants to bring to your mind than it would be to read through this in a year I read through this in a year I like it I love that I have a Bible I love that I have Bible software that I have incredible access to tools and resources but honestly sometimes our bookshelves just need to disappear and we need to learn how to meditate on the Word of God day and night Psalm chapter 1 talks about the blessed man as that one that meditates on the Word of God day and night says he's like a tree a tree planted by streams of water The power of that picture is so rich that this tree is constantly drawing the nutrients and the refreshment that it needs. That's the person that meditates on the scripture day and night is that you have constant access to what you need to be faithful in your life. That's the picture of Psalm chapter one. So one of the practices that you could take on today is being a person of the word and not just a consumer of it, not just a student of it but somebody that dwells on it and meditates on it, that, that lets the Spirit of God speak to you in it. And that can happen in a few different ways. That can happen through long, big chunks of Scripture, absolutely. And again, I'm not bemoaning the study of the Scriptures, but just encouraging you to make sure that it doesn't become textbook in its, uh, in its existence. Uh, I mentioned Wednesday that I went out in silence and solitude. This is something that you can practice. Uh, If you live a a regular work week, let's just say you happen to get Saturdays off and you have a family, I would recommend that you and your spouse discuss taking alternating Saturdays to, uh, to be alone. Maybe not every Saturday, but maybe once every other month or once a month or something like that, that you actually discuss how to help each other, find some space. It can be an hour, it can be four hours, or try for a whole day to simply be alone and be still with God. Don't take all your books. Don't take the things that you've been guilty about not reading for all that time. Just take maybe the Bible, maybe. Take a journal. Just go be with Jesus. Go for a hike. Go out in the water. Go for a drive. Whatever you do to find that space of being truly alone with Jesus. Uh, Shannon, why don't you guys come on up here? Um, And just while they're getting settled, I'll encourage you guys with... uh, the last one, that's, that's prayer. Uh, there are others. There are many practices that we can do, fasting, Sabbath. Uh, honestly, there are a lot of things that we could go into. But I guess the, the thing that I wanted to challenge you with, maybe at the core, is when you think about how to be with Jesus, I don't want you to think about the amount of things that you get through But that choosing to (laughs) have somebody lift your chin, make eye contact with your Savior, and just be in communion with Jesus, maybe it has to start with moments, and then it goes to minutes, and then it goes to hours, and then it goes to days. But, But the idea that you're building in this practice of life where enjoying Jesus, being with him, abiding in him becomes the life that you are living That's going to be the foundation of becoming like Jesus or doing what Jesus did. That's where that comes from, is learning how to be with Jesus and live that abiding life. We're going to worship. Um, Not that what we have been doing wouldn't qualify as worship, but we're going to spend some time in this intentional space of singing. Uh, I hope that you saw in what I shared before, what we did before, that that the idea of singing, it's declaring truth, it's participating in the the song that is going up around the world uh, today. Constantly, people being, uh, lifting up the name of Jesus in every corner of this earth. We are joining the choir of the saints to celebrate the risen king, and you're participating in that. So you get a chance to lift up the name of Jesus through song. Uh, We're going to take communion, the way that we do communion is uh, we have these stations and we just ask you to kind of come up and then find a spot to pray together, to encourage each other, Uh, it's for people that are followers of Jesus to come up and remember the finished work of Jesus in your life, you can do that as a group, as a family, as a community group or a row, Uh, you can basically engage the people around you to take part in communion together as followers of Jesus. We take offering every week, we encourage you to give and give generously, we think that's a huge part of life with Jesus. Um, and then we have our prayer teams our prayer teams are ready to minister uh, to, to take this and encourage you to build you up to be um, bringing God's word into your life in a, kind of a unique and um, maybe potentially prophetic way this morning and we want to give you the opportunity to do that so our prayer teams are stationed in the back they have lanyards on you just go up to them and say will you pray for me? okay so why don't we stand up together and let's, uh, let's worship Jesus together this morning